And a hearty welcome to one and all. This is episode 20 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I want to thank you all for joining me. And if you're joining me on Spotify, iTunes, or any of the audio platforms, don't forget to click like and subscribe. Or if you're joining me on my YouTube channel, don't forget to click like and hit that subscriber bell. So for episode 20, uh, I'm going to comment on and offer my thoughts on something that has been on social media in the kind of film, film nerd, film geek, general movie fan circles. And it's a poll that was posted. I don't know exactly who came up with it, um, but I saw it on Instagram. And the poll was called, exactly. Who do you think is the greatest Hollywood director of all time? And they had here eight, a kind of great eight. And those great eight are, well, seven of them are still around. One of them is not. The eight are, not in any order, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Francis Coppola, and Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick being the one who passed uh, many years ago, unfortunately. Stanley was still in his 60s when he passed. Um, now, first I'm going to tell you the problem with lists like this are they're so preposterously subjective that there's no way that, there's no right answer here. It, it's all like, how do their films hit you? And then you could maybe explain it or not explain it well, or I might explain it not as well as you, or what happened. But there's no real answer. This is all for fun. But the problem with this list is there's no Orson Welles on it, and there's no Alfred Hitchcock. And I don't think they didn't select Hitchcock with, well, because technically he was British, and he, I think they just didn't select Hitchcock because he was too old school. Hitchcock's last film was uh, 1976. It's quite some time ago. Kubrick's last film was 24 years ago, so not quite as far back. And Kubrick certainly is still very influential. Uh, everybody talks about him, you know, from Spielberg, Nolan on down. Uh, Kubrick is of the recent crop of people who were still working when he was still working, like everyone on this list except for Christopher Nolan. Um, he's somebody that they all aspire to be like and that they would take certain ideas for shots from him. Uh, not having Orson Welles on the list, it's incomplete. It doesn't matter that Orson Welles' last real movie was Touch of Evil, that I consider a real movie, and that's uh, how many years ago? 64 years ago? 65 years ago, Jesus. Um, but Orson Welles changed cinema he pioneered so many different techniques for filmmaking at a very young age. He was 25 when he started work on Citizen Kane. Um, so that, that's the editorial comment is, the list is incomplete and should include, even though young people don't have any real conception in many cases of Orson Welles. And Hitchcock, they might know the name because of Psycho and his movies have kind of bounced around on Netflix. Oh yeah, I know that, like the little funny little old guy who happened to be a sort of diabolical evil genius type. Uh, so the editorial comment is, it's not a complete list without those two. But if I am asked the question, 
And these are the kinds of things we used to just, like when we were fucking around in film school a million years ago, you know, Kubrick was, uh, Kubrick was trying to make various films in the 90s and there was an idea he was going to make a movie that ended up being directed by somebody else called Perfume Story of a Murderer. He had his own Napoleon project, which he could not get off the ground. He had the Aryan Papers, which he decided not to do because it had some elements in common with Schindler's List. And he, um, not that he deferred to Spielberg, but he kind of didn't think that it was the right thing for him to make while Stephen was doing Schindler. Uh, because it was, as I say, it was in the ballpark. And then, of course, his attempts to get AI off the ground at the time that, that Spielberg was working on Jurassic and Schindler, he, he just wasn't able to do it. The cost would have been prohibitive. So there, you know, Kubrick, had, there were a lot of unrealized projects which people like me wish had somehow gotten done. They didn't. Spielberg directed AI, and there was a lot of Kubrick in that. It's one of the kind of gloomiest and darkest uh, films of Spielberg's career, kind of up there with War of the World, which is also pretty grim and brutal. But this is my kind of long-winded way of saying that I love all eight of these guys. When, when you say, okay, Ridley Scott, give me Ridley Scott. I believe Ridley Scott made the greatest science fiction film ever in Blade Runner, regardless of which version. If you want me to put a gun to my head and say which, yeah, okay, his final cut, the director's cut but the real director's cut, not what they called the director's cut in 1992 when they released it to VHS. The real one that Ridley put his handprints on a number of years ago, the so-called final cut. So Ridley Scott directed that, what I believe is the greatest science fiction film ever made. And he made the original Alien, which is, in terms of sci-fi horror, it's up there. Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, I mean, the guy has knocked so many out of the park in his career. I'm not going to sit here and do filmography. But I am a huge Ridley Scott fan. That is the takeaway here, okay? James Cameron, I believe, may be one of the most talented filmmakers who ever lived. He is an absolute genius, a pioneering visionary in his way. The special effects, some of the things that he was able to do with Digital Domain and the other companies he, you know, was involved with and helped to create. Terminator 2 is one of the best action movies ever made. It's top three. Most people, plenty of people have it as like literally number one. It's that good. The original Terminator, phenomenal. The Abyss, director's cut, a great film, as good as Titanic. Titanic, I love it, even though some of the dialogue is ridiculous. But his masterpiece, Aliens, for what it is, you want to call it an action movie, maybe the best action movie ever made. You want to call it horror, it's up there. It's creepy. It does everything right. Also, in every possible version. The theatrical cut, about two hours and 17 minutes. Cameron's preferred longer cut with the angle of Ripley being a mom and the kid, the daughter died when she was in hypersleep, 57 years, the whole thing. It's a masterpiece in every version. I love James Cameron. The only movies of his that I don't think are phenomenal, Avatar films. Eh, doesn't work. True Lies, love it. Love it. I mean, Arnold is Arnold, right? True Lies is great. Um, now, Christopher Nolan, I haven't seen Oppenheimer. I'm sorry. But go back with him, because he doesn't have the filmography of like a Spielberg. Memento, amazing. Insomnia, with the late, great Robin Williams and Al Pacino in terrific role. A quieter Pacino, like the Pacino of 95% of Donnie Brasco. Fantastic, right? 
And I love the, um, the Batman trilogy that he did. I think all three are really, really good. The consensus among many people, I don't want to speak for anyone, is that the Dark Knight, Heath Ledger, may he rest in peace, as the Joker, that that's the best of the three. I like Batman Begins, the best of the three. What can I say? Um, it does so many things right. Using Gary Oldman as Gordon the way they did. You know, Oldman has played so many heavies, villains, if you don't know. Um, it was great to see him in that role. And he really seemed to be enjoying the fact that he was playing a good guy for a change. Like, this is not your, your father's Gary Oldman screaming, uh, you know, it, it, in the professional all those years, 10, 11 years prior. Bring me everyone. What, what do you mean everyone? Everyone! So yes, a big Christopher Nolan fan. I feel like in terms of his technique, his style, his shot making, he's the closest that we have to Kubrick among the great filmmakers. Again, just my opinion. I'm thinking about the static shots in some of Nolan's work and the way that Kubrick held the camera or had the camera held, maybe would be more accurate. But he had a very particular way of framing and Nolan's work, even Inception, which I didn't, I mean, it's gorgeous, it didn't really work for him. But he has, it, there's, a, there's a depth to the image in Nolan's work that I appreciate. And I'm a big fan of the guy. Now, when you go with Tarantino, I love that guy too. The only movie of his that I don't really, really say, oh my God, it's great, Jackie Brown, which to me is just okay. I read the script, and as wacky as it seems, Maybe not so wacky. I actually think the script is better than the movie. It's some of his best writing, and I'm not saying that in a, like an arch sort of way. I'm being serious. It is a brilliantly written script. It's a fantastic read. The movie doesn't really work for me. Now, when I say it doesn't work, I'll give it three stars out of four. It is a good movie, but it is not, to me, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill. Those three you could... Flip a coin. They're all incredible. And I Kill Bill, I, I know they couldn't release the entire four hours at once, but that is incredible achievement. And I um, love Pulp Fiction. I've seen Reservoir Dogs ten times. I, I talked about it on another, on another podcast, you know, the, uh, Tarantino trying to get James Woods and failing, and Tim Roth killing it, no pun intended, or pun intended, whichever one you want, uh, in the role of, um, was it Mr. Mr. Orange? Right. I almost said Mr. Pink. I get those mixed up. Mr. Pink was Steve Buscemi. So I'm a huge Tarantino fan. Django Unchained. Phenomenal. Inglorious Bastards. Phenomenal. Like, that is a guy who has not, you know, and he's working on a film now, and he's saying that it's his last. Who knows? You know, not everybody has the energy of a Scorsese or even a Spielberg or Coppola, who's still working on Megalopolis. Um, and to just keep going, maybe Quentin wants to do something else with the rest of his life. Maybe he wants to become a film critic. Maybe he wants to get into music. You don't know. I mean, I hope he doesn't retire, but I'm not going to begrudge him if he decides this is my 10th and final film and I'm not coming back. But I love Quentin Tarantino. Scorsese? I'm a Scorsese scholar. It is impossible now, and it was impossible at the NYU of the mid-1990s, right in my wheelhouse, literally, 94 to 97. You could not take a film class with any kind of contemporary angle without studying 
Martin Scorsese, and probably seeing Taxi Driver at the very least. If not, New York, New York. If not, um, Mean Streets. If not, After Hours. Taxi Driver for me is the greatest movie to come out of Hollywood in the last 50 years. That's what I'm going to say. Not my favorite movie, but if somebody puts a gun to my head and I've got 10 seconds to name a film, I'm going with Taxi Driver. So much as Ridley Scott made what I believe to be the greatest science fiction film ever made, Martin Scorsese made to me the best film of the last 50 years in Taxi Driver. Scorsese might be my pick, but I don't love Raging Bull and Goodfellas the way a lot of scholars do. And believe me, I have studied them, I have written papers, I have committed a lot of time to the scholarly aspects of those films. I appreciate them. Raging Bull is a movie that I respect. When people say, best film of the decade of the 80s, I don't have an argument. I just don't enjoy the movie. I don't like watching. It is painful to sit in. And I feel the same about Goodfellas. Goodfellas, to me, is an extraordinary film. And if people say, hey, that's, that's Scorsese's masterpiece, okay. I'm not arguing with you. I just can't. I have difficulty sitting through it. It's bizarre because Taxi Driver is much more disturbing. The character of Travis Bickle, one of my favorite interviews, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio isn't necessarily known as some kind of an egghead, like a, like a brilliant man or a genius. But his description of Taxi Driver, he described the film in about one minute better than I ever did up to that point, where he said, we are with Travis, and when we realize we shouldn't be, we feel betrayed. That's such a good analysis. But you still can't stop watching. You know? Um, I really like every Scorsese film that I have seen. I just don't enjoy the experience of sitting through Goodfellas is so brutal. And the same with Raging Bull. I mean, the character of Jake Lamont is so bad. And you know, De Niro, obviously, extraordinary in both films. Um, the Age of Innocence is under the radar. It's one of the best period pieces I believe ever made. It could be top five. The amount of time that he put into that, the, the length of time it took him to edit that. He, Famously, and when I say famously, I mean within the very insular world of New York University Film School. He taught an advanced seminar the year before I got to New York University while he was editing The Age of Innocence. This is what he was doing because he wasn't actually making a film. He was editing, and he had some help, and he taught an advanced seminar. And um, a couple of the doctoral students that were there, that kind of notch above me, I was just an undergrad, um, they said it was incredible. He was so good as an instructor. And they weren't surprised, but he didn't have any kind of stuffy air, not that you would have expected, even from the, the Scorsese in his early 50s. They said, so engaging. He was so nice. It's something that I wish I could have done also, have uh, you know somebody like that, even a Spike Lee who's taught advanced seminars. What an experience that must be for, you know, for a young person to have somebody whose films they have studied, whether or not they're even a fan. You know? Still an incredible experience. So that's when I think of Scorsese. Master, an absolute master. A filmmaking goat. Maybe not the goat, though, right? Now, I love Steven Spielberg. I love Steven Spielberg. There are very few Spielberg films. The only Spielberg film I've seen that I didn't like, the sequel to Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Not good. Technically brilliant, 
the effects work, the way they, they mixed up with the animatronics, great. Jeff Goldblum is always a riot. Film doesn't work. It's not good. Um, I never actually watched 1941 all the way through. But when I think Spielberg, Jaws changed Hollywood. There are not that many films that you can say, and everybody agrees. Like, this is not an arguable point. Did Bonnie and Clyde change Hollywood more than Jaws on balance? I don't know. There are, there are some that would argue that, but nobody would dispute the idea that Jaws changed Hollywood, that the studios began to think in terms of marketing movies like that differently. Summer movie season. No staggered release. Hit them all at once. Get it into theaters as quickly as possible. Let's get our money back as soon as we can. Now, I, I'm a big fan of Jaws. It's not in my, like, if somebody said, what's your top 25? I don't even know if it makes my top 25, but I love Jaws. And E.T., love it. Empire of the Sun, my favorite somewhat under-the-radar Spielberg film. Fantastic. The Raiders of the Lost Ark, the OG trilogy, those are three, those three are probably in my top 25. Certainly Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. You know, Raiders is, he wasn't quite sure in the early going exactly what he was going to do with the character. I think Raiders is the best film of the three, but it's not the most rewatchable. Temple of Doom, incredibly rewatchable. And that's the one you know, Tarantino has talked about, that he's not a fan of La Last Crusade as much as he loves Connery and he loves Harrison. He feels that Temple of Doom is, the, for him, the best of the three. That's a kind of almost a guilty pleasure Tarantino has talked about. He said, oh, I just love that. I know Spielberg's come out and said, well, I was kind of in a bad place. Good, good. You know how Tarantino talks. Uh, so, yes, I'm a massive fan of Spielberg. What he's done as producer as well, some of the films that he's gotten behind. Um, and Schindler's List, it is a very, very painful film. It's personal for a Jewish person. We know that. And I watched Schindler's List in theaters, and that was the year also of Jurassic Park, which was runaway, extraordinary hit, and I think a very successful adaptation of Crichton's book. Not perfect, there were a couple of things in the book that they weren't able to do, a couple of sequences which I feel like now, they would have thrown more money Spielberg's way or he would have figured out how to do it. There were a couple of potential scenes in that book that you could see how they were gonna, how they were gonna be on screen, they weren't able to do it. They just weren't able to figure out the special effects. Again, they did a lot of interesting stuff with animatronics, and filming using different locations for what was supposed to be the same location. Like some of the stuff when they're trapped in the car, in the Jeep, and they're in the middle of the park, was shot on location of what was supposed to be Isla Nublar. Uh, Nublar. Uh, and and it, was on, it was at the studio. So they were bouncing back and forth between first unit at the actual location, second unit from, at the location, and then back to the first unit on a soundstage. And I think that it was seamless, because I certainly didn't know that until I read, holy crap, you mean that wasn't all shot? No, no, it wasn't. They shot this on a soundstage, this was animatronics, this was in the computer. Like really, really cool stuff. So all of that, love Jurassic. Schindler's List I've seen three times. Each time is very, very painful. Um, really for anybody, though. Uh, it, it, is, it is intentionally a difficult movie that is supposed to give you pause. You are supposed to see things in some ways through the eyes of Schindler and his growing horror that you know, these are people that he's schmoozing with and he's, he's 
wine and doing all this stuff. And then he kind of very quietly sort of changes what he's doing. Um, so I don't know that I consider that Spielberg's best film. A lot of people would, um, but I love Steven Spielberg. I have been a fan from, I mean, the first Spielberg movie I saw was E.T. in theaters with my parents. Loved it. What a great movie. And that's a timeless film. Even if, you know, some of the special effects are a little bit weird now, they don't quite work. But you just feel the love in that film. And, um, you know, the, the late, great film critic, Pauline Kael, was such a Grinch. She was such a Grinch. She was, you know, like some of the other critics I've mentioned, you just seemed to hate everything. But Pauline Kael really liked that movie. And Ebert... The mainstream critics really liked it. I mean, it could have won Best Picture. Yeah, you know, that was the year of Blade Runner, and Blade Runner bombed in part because if you were going to see a science fiction film that summer, you were more likely to see E.T. or Star Trek The Wrath of Khan or The Thing instead of Blade Runner. Blade Runner's better than all of them, if you ask me. <laughs> so now, Francis Ford Coppola another guy I am a huge fan of, but not in a conventional way. My favorite Coppola films, none of the Godfathers. For whatever reason, maybe it's the same concept as with Goodfellas, where I just, I never warmed to Goodfellas. I never really warmed to the Godfather movies. I don't know if it was the subject matter. It's, it's hard to explain these things, but Al Pacino's amazing. You know, De Niro, of course, in Godfather 2, phenomenal. And um, Andy Garcia coming on the scene in Godfather 3. Like, they are all so well-crafted, um, well, beautifully staged. The time period, you know, James Caan in the first, Duval. So, so many things to love in those movies. They just, they just leave me cold. My two favorite Coppola films, believe it or not, The Rainmaker, 1997, Matt Damon as an attorney, and John Boyd. As, as he always did in the 90s, just chewing the scenery, every scene. John Boyd is just hamming it up, and he's amazing. But my favorite couple of film is the movie that he made in between the two, the first two Godfathers, The Conversation, with Gene Hackman as pretty much the world's best wiretapper. Just one guy working with a partner, the, again, another late great, John Cazale, but the best wiretapper. And it is a movie where if you read the description, it sounds like exciting thriller, it's not. It's slow, it's meditative, it's melancholy. Plot involves murder, and Gene Hackman, as a guy hired to wiretap a conversation, is somewhat complicit, but it's not what you think. And the fact that that movie does not feel like a film that's going to have a twist ending, and then it nails you with it. Incredible. My favorite Coppola film. And the last person of the eight is my pick for the GOAT, the filmmaking GOAT. Since Hitchcock is not on this list, because I probably would have taken him, I believe that he was the most groundbreaking, the most pioneering, and that he produced the greatest number of films that I would consider masterpieces of anybody. Hitchcock. He was just knocking them out one after another. From Vertigo through The Birds, there's, and nobody did it better. Nobody did it better than Hitch. But since he's not on the list, Stanley Kubrick is my pick. Who is the greatest Hollywood filmmaker of all time? And Kubrick is my pick on the strength of three movies, all of which are extraordinary. 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is top five sci-fi of all time, if not top three. I, I, 
Blade Runner is more accessible, and I feel like it's just better. 2001 is going after a different, a different area of sci-fi, even though they're both, you know, there's a lot of travel and you see different worlds and, and talking about different worlds. Um, Clockwork Orange, if you want to call that sci-fi. Postmodern, I don't know. Technically, that's also sci-fi. So you could, you could put that one in 1A. But this is where it gets weird as far as um, classifying movies. Because if Blade Runner and A Clockwork Orange are both sci-fi, they got nothing in common other than the genre. The Clockwork Orange to me is, as Taxi Driver was the greatest of that, you know, the last 50 years, A Clockwork Orange to me is Kubrick's masterpiece and it's one of the greatest motion pictures ever made. It's that good. It is that extraordinary, that challenging in every way that you can challenge an audience without really beating them over the head. But you leave that movie shaking and you were thinking about a lot of stuff that you may not have considered before. And um, on the strength of that alone, in the same way that when I was asked the question, um, Scorsese, Spielberg, Coppola, Lucas. Lucas is not in this, he hasn't made enough films. But I would always pick Scorsese because of Taxi Driver. Kubrick, I'm picking because of A Clockwork Arm. And also, because Full Metal Jacket is, an, to me, extraordinary motion picture. It's not the best war movie ever made, because it's not really a combat-type war movie. Although a lot of people did say, best war movie ever made. It's not really about combat. It's about the human toll, and the dehumanization, and all of that other, you know, everything else that goes into that. There were certain critics that didn't like Full Metal Jacket, Platoon won, and that's Oliver Stone, another great filmmaker and writer. Um, the previous year that Stone won Best Picture with Platoon. And I think Platoon's terrific. It's more of a sort of conventional uh, war movie, uh, combat film, if you will. Whereas Full Metal Jacket is not really a combat film at all. It is a, a Vietnam War story, but not exactly the story of the Vietnam War. More the, the horror of war and the chaos of battle and some combat. But, you know, huge chunk of the film is basically the guys being pot-shotted at by a sniper who doesn't turn out to be anything like what we expect. Like, everything in that movie is turned upside down. It does for war movies what Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven did to Westerns. It does not do anything like what you expect. So for that, and for Clockwork Orange, and 2001, because Cooper had some misses. I don't love Eyes Wide Shut. Huge Tom Cruise fan. Nicole, she's great. Sidney Pollack, the movie is really entertaining. It's not a great film. I mean, it's three and a half stars out of four. It's not on the level of the others. And uh, Barry Lyndon, I don't even think that I've ever made it all the way through Barry Lyndon. What happens? Boring, right? The movie is just, they burned, how many million candles? There's something to Google. How many candles did Stanley Kubrick burn during the making of Barry Lyndon? Gorgeous film, though. I think it won three Oscars. Technically beautiful, unbelievably mounted production, staged, costumed, all that stuff. All great. Movie, eh. So, Stanley Kubrick is my number one greatest Hollywood filmmaker from this list of eight. And um, 
two through eight, they're all tied. Tied for second, not tied for eighth. I cannot choose between any of those other filmmakers versus, like the, all, the other seven, we're just going to say that they're all the same. Just as brilliant. So like, if they're 9.99999, I'm putting Kubrick at 10. Even though he had a couple of movies that not really that great for me. When he hit where he achieved, he's on a different level. You know, as Jack Nicholson famously said, everyone pretty much acknowledges that Stanley's the man, and I still think that underrates him. That quote is perfect. It's exactly what I'm trying to impart. There's just something different about his movies as if he is he just was always operating on another level, and sometimes he made mistakes and missteps, but the ones he got right, nobody could have done it the way that he did and succeeded. So that is going to bring to a close episode 20 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. Um, don't forget to click like and subscribe to my YouTube channel, which, as I say, I have put a lot of work in, trying to make it as entertaining for you guys as possible. And um, also, don't forget to click like and subscribe if you're just tuning into the audio version of the podcast, whether you're on iTunes or Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music. I will be back with episode 21 very, very soon. And I want to thank you all once again very, very much for joining me into my discussion of who is the greatest Hollywood filmmaker of all time. Peace out.